All right. Hey, what's up, gang? It's time for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes, and this one is a doozy. Just a fantastic guest with loads of marketing experience and insights on how, you know, most of us just find our way into marketing. And once we're there, how we define our individual journey and, and map to success. As most of you know, I'm Sam Chapman, content director here at Aprimo, joined as always by our host and CMO, Ed Briel. Ed, tell us a bit more about who we have in the Cheat Code studio today. Kelly Hopping. She is a serial CMO. She's an author and has had CMO roles. I'll call it the meta CMO role actually at, uh, at Gartner covering their, their digital markets. Yeah. She, Kelly's, uh, she's got a great career, tons of lessons in this episode, and she's really made her way through every aspect of marketing. And I think, you know, what we're doing here on, on the Cheat Codes podcast is, you know, building relationships. And she's big on that. She talks about how to do that successfully. She represents a very successful blueprint for aspiring marketers, and she's carved her own path. She's burned the corporate ladder, so to speak, and, and she's created her own way. Yeah, amazing. I'm really excited about this one. So uh, let's get into it and I'll catch you on the flip. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. My name is Ed Briel, CMO at Aprimo, and I'm absolutely ecstatic to have an amazing, talented marketer, a career serial CMO, author, um, and uh, somebody who has really been paving a way and creating, I'll call it a blueprint for advancement in the, uh, in the world of marketing, uh, Kelly Hopping. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to, nice to be here, Ed. I appreciate you guys having me. Excellent. And uh, so this is Marketing Cheat Codes, and we like to talk about um, this idea of the core loop of, uh, of the game of marketing. But you recently, you pressed the pause button. <laughs> I think that is amazingly powerful. And I really want to unpack your career arc. You've got such an amazing one. Um, and I think there's so much to be learned in in that pause, and I can't wait to to hear about it. Uh, but take me through, take me back to the beginning of your your career. And I know it didn't start exactly in marketing. I love the origin stories of marketers. <laughs> uh -huh. um, mine didn't start in marketing either. Um, mine was in uh, nuclear energy, but yours was in engineering. It was, yeah, yeah. I meet people that come from psychology degrees and right. communications, all different kinds of things that aren't quite marketing. Um, so yes, so I was an industrial engineer at Texas A&M University. I'm from Texas, I'm from a small town between San Antonio and Austin. Um, and I went to Texas A&M and wanted to get the best degree I could. I didn't actually really have an interest in being an engineer, but I was uh, really good at math and science. And so I thought, let me get the best degree I can get from the best school I can get it from. And so, uh, so I did, and I graduated, or right before I graduated, my last summer, I went to intern for a company called Sabre. Uh, Sabre is owned by American Airlines, um, or they were at the time. And, uh, and I interviewed for the job and I got it. And of course I was an engineer, so it was a product development intern. And the night before I started, um, I got a call from the VP of product development who was gonna be my boss. And he called and he said, hey, we just had a reorg. It's like my first taste of corporate reorgs too. But he said, um, we just had a reorg and I'm no longer the VP of corporate uh, of product development. I'm now product marketing. Do you want to come do marketing for the summer? And I was like, 
sure. And <laughs> I've been in marketing ever since. So that one phone call changed my entire career trajectory because I was, uh, I loved it. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to be an engineer. And so it was like, it was a nice um, for I ended up because it was software and I was going to be in tech. I worked very closely with the engineers, um, but I got a chance to just do marketing. So, um, so that was nice. And then I ended up uh, interning, coming back full time. Uh, but after about four years of doing it, I had a, and I had um, had a great opportunities across like a few different roles there at Sabre and product marketing and um, different roles. And then I had a chance to spend my last six months in Sao Paulo, Brazil um, when, uh, there was a project that came along with Tam airlines and I, for some unknown reason had a, uh, Brazilian visa, um, because of a conference I had gone to on a fluke and, uh, and I was the only one in the company who did. And so they said, all right, Kelly, you're on this project cause you have the visa go. And so I spent my last six months in, uh, in Sao Paulo, which was amazing. And while I was there, uh, I found out that I got accepted to business school. I had decided to go back to get my MBA. Um, to actually learn how to do marketing since I would, had sort of been making it up for four years. Um, and so I went to Harvard and got my MBA and um, had an incredible experience, wow. um, just surrounded by uh, ridiculously smart, uh, diverse, brilliant, wonderful people. Um, and during that time, I interned uh, at Kraft Foods. Um, so they kind of picked me up. They recognized the product marketing background. They liked the engineering. They liked the attention to data and details. And so I interned for them and went back full time uh, in the New York office. So I worked in uh, in brand management craft, which is like the, to me the holy grail of marketing. Like it's marketing one hundred and one. Everyone should start there um, in some big CPG company. And so I managed uh, Chips Ahoy and Nutter Butter uh, for two years. Um, in there, I got engaged to my husband. I met him in New York, got engaged, and we moved to Chicago because he got transferred there. And uh, so Kraft trans transferred me to the Chicago office. And I worked there for a couple of years and managed uh, Breakstone Cottage Cheese and Kraft String Cheese. Um, and that was great too. It was a totally different kind of business, commodity business instead of a kind of a premium type brand. Um, so that was fun. And then I had a kid in there. And once I had the kid, uh, which is really a bad way to be pregnant when you're doing cottage cheese tastings because I hate cottage cheese. <laughs> so I threw oh, no. up in many a plant. Um, but that's okay. I made it out of there. Um, had a kid and then decided we should get closer to family because I yeah. have a, a baby. And so we wanted to get back to Texas as quick as we could. So um, a friend uh, at from A&M, she was working at Dell and she recommended me to her boss. And so her boss called and we connected. And so uh, she hired me to do product, product planning, product placement, product marketing, some of that um, on the Latitude business, which is the commercial client business. And they moved, they relocated me down or our whole family down to, to Austin, um, which was great. I worked for Dell for like 15 minutes. It was, it was, uh, it was a good company, great company, but I was, um, it wasn't, the right exact fit for me, which was fine, but I had a good time and I was perfectly happy because I was had really manageable work hours. I've been um, to that campus there in the Round Rock. It's, yeah, uh, it's gorgeous. massive. Yeah. I think they've slowly got to be closing some things down as people are more and more remote. Um, and they even encourage a remote policy long before COVID. Um, and so, yeah, it's a massive campus, two of them. Um, and Dell was great in terms of like learning the Austin tech scene, learning how everything worked. And I would have stayed because I was now pregnant with my second child and it was a great lifestyle. It was, it was perfect for the season of life that I was in. Um, but uh, my boss who had hired me relocated left and went to AMD 
And so as soon as I hit my one year mark at Dell, she called, so I wasn't really there 15 minutes. I was there like 14 months, but she, uh, she called and said, Hey, is your, your relocation paid for? And I was like, yeah, she's like, Oh good. Cause I've got a job for you at AMD. And so she poached me out nice. um, of Dell, which was great. I went to AMD for five years. Um, had a great time. I did, uh, I started in corporate brand, product brand, um, got picked up by the product marketing team, did demand gen, commercial client, you know, uh, campaigns and go to market strategy. Um, did all that for about three and a half years. And then my last year and a half, um, the current CEO, uh, Lisa Sue, she was the COO at the time. Uh, she uh, called me out of the blue. I'd never met her um, and asked me to be her chief of staff. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, I'll try this. It was, I was right at that kind of senior manager to director pivot. Um, and so it was a good time to get picked up. I learned a ton about executive decision-making and about, um, you know, things that executives care about and things they don't, what's a good use of time, what's, what's not, how to communicate effectively. Uh, so I did that for a while. She eventually promoted me uh, back into the business uh, right about the time I got a call from a former AMD or who had left and gone to Rackspace, um, called and asked me to come over and stand up a brand function. Um, and so I did brand. So I was at Rackspace for about four and a half years. I did brand for a while and then added on to brand and picked up all of central marketing. Essentially, I picked up uh, campaigns, go to market strategy, creative content, video, all that stuff. And then um, and then my last year and a half or so, uh, a new president came in and, and pulled me out and asked me to stand up um, a vertical marketing solution marketing function. Um, right. So then I learned to stand up financial services and government and um, and then solution packaging instead of just product packaging and um, healthcare and so all the different things. So I did that for a while and eventually picked up all of product marketing and owned that. And then um, my former CMO, you'll notice a, a trend. My trend is that I sort of make advocates at every company I go to that then take me to the next company. Um, that is, I'll call it out, but that is a cheat code for, for career sure. advancement. For sure. I didn't even think about that when, when we talked about this, but yes, that's absolutely a cheat code. Cause to me it's, that's enabled my entire career and 99% of the time it's worked out beautifully. And, um, so I've been really thankful for that. So your advice, and I know we're still move we're still moving through yeah. your, your story arc here, but for, for marketers, aspiring mark, you know, folks who want to someday, you know, get to the C-suite and the advancements you've made, when I look at your career, you didn't follow some ladder. You you burned a ladder and you created your own <laughs> pathway through. Um, so, what are some of your if if that's a cheat code, which is create some some long lasting trusting relationships? Mm -hmm. What are some of those other decision points? I'll call them a series of inflection points that you've made in your career that made the difference. And there's risk, there's challenge, there's mm -hmm. Uh, obviously reward in your case, having been quite successful, but are, are there a, a couple more little cheat codes and career advancement moving through? I think so. So yeah, I mean, the advocate one is huge. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, I always, I, I just got off a mentor call this morning, um, a gal that I min mentor and she, w I was telling her the same thing. I said, there's, there's a, there's a stage where you kind of feel like, Hey, I know how to do my job. Well, like I should be promoted. I should be ready for the next thing. And the reality is that's true. Like there is, you probably do functionally, transactionally know how to execute your job. Um, and you can rush the learnings of that. What you can't rush is the learnings of all the soft experience stuff. 
the stuff that only comes from living it of dealing with different leadership styles, different dealing with different cultures, managing interpersonal relationships or personnel challenges, like all the things that um, managing businesses that are growing and businesses that are declining, um, all those things kind of are the hard part. And those are the ones that you can't rush to me. So that's a cheat code on that is sometimes is look at the experience outside of just functionally what you are um, doing. So that's that. And then another one that I would say is, um, is learn the business. To me, that's been the biggest one, I think. And it's actually probably what's enabled the relationships that have enabled my the advocates is I believe that, um, that if you understand the P&L, um, you will actually like skate where the puck is going, right? right? You won't continue to spin in your little circle and be like, how come no one is you know, promoting me or how come no one is giving me exposure at the leadership level for this project I'm working on? I'm gonna be like, have you looked at the business and are actually, are you working on anything that's relevant to where the business is going? And if not, figure out a way to get there. So I spend a lot of time understanding the PL and I look and say, okay, what, what business units are growing? Which ones are profitable? I listen to the earnings call and say, what are the senior leaders talking about in terms of the most important business areas, the most strategic functions, where we think we have the most white space to grow, where our product is the most differentiated, where we have the great, the best product market fit, whatever it is. When you hear all that stuff, you're like, ooh, that's the sweet spot. That's where I wanna go. And then you start facilitating a set of conversations with your leaders where your questions aren't just, you know, what are you doing for my job or, or this is my project or whatever, things that feel very small, but instead you're having a conversation about the future of the business. You're having a conversation about how you can contribute, the impact you can make. And all of a sudden they're like, this is a person I want to take with me wherever I go because they get it. And they're, they're more than just a function. Instead, they're, a, they're a, a sparring partner, a business athlete that I can have real conversations with. And I think that's to me like the element of the cheat code that enables um, the advocates is really giving people something to go with other than just, you know, a sparkling personality. Yeah, totally. And I think your, your advice there is change the focus away from you and put it on the business. Yeah, absolutely. What's that value that you're going to bring? How are you going to move that business forward? What's that new layer of untapped, you know, the white space within growth that folks want to promote people who can see that through that lens. Yeah. And so, so Kelly, now you're at Rackspace and the next career progression was to go to Gartner. Yes. And um, so CMO at Gartner, that's like, that's like very meta, like CMO at Gartner. It's like the CMO to the CMOs. Right. What's it like to go f- to make that move? Um, having sort of accumulated all this experience now, going with an organization uh, as, as widely you know, praised as Gartner? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was not what I was expecting. It turned out to be so much better. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I had, uh, I mean, you know, Gartner is like so powerful in the world of marketing, right? Everybody wants to be in a magic quadrant in the top right, yeah. and the whole thing. Um, but it's <laughs> also like, also pretty boring, right? Like we're talking about research. Like you can go be the CMO of research. That sounds super lame. But um, the great thing is that I worked, I was hired as a divisional CMO in one of the Gartner business units, which is um, the Gartner Digital Markets. Mm-hmm. Um, it was composed of the acquisition of three brands, Captera, GetApp, and Software Advice. Um, and the difference was, is that Gartner's marketing budget is 
tiny, right? I mean, they run most, everything is done through right. enterprise sales execs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the relationship builders and then big events. That's kind of the primary uh, budget. For GDM, it was all marketing driven. And so the beauty of that is that my marketing budget was astronomical, like, you know, six figures. And it was great because we drove 100% of the revenue. There was no outbound sales force. And so um, it was the first time that as a marketer, I had carried the number for the business unit um, because we drove acquisition and conversion um, through, uh, you know, through the marketing channels. Um, and so it was full funnel in there, though, because we still ran all three brands. So we had a ton of brand management at the top of the funnel and comms and PR and things that went with that all the way down to the very bottom of the funnel um, at the lowest sort of transaction affiliate partners and PPC and, um, you know, and, and SEO and sort of all the, the online pieces. So it was my first taste of end to end full scale marketing. I had sort of done all the pieces, um, but bringing it all together. Um, was huge. It was also the first time I'd ever managed digital marketing myself in-house. Mm. I'd always used agencies and running campaigns and all of that. And this is the first time that I had an entire um, you know, paid media team, an entire SEO team, and they were the best in the business. They were so good. And so, um, so it was a brilliant time. It was two years. I loved all of it. I loved my my first team, my leadership. Um, and it bec- and it really was this sort of like darling within the Gartner business because it was a highly profitable business unit. Um, it was sort of not, it wasn't reported separately. And so it was like this safe space where we could get creative. We didn't have such huge brand loyalty that we'd break anything. So we got to test and learn and have some fun, um, but still drive really, really meaningful results for Gartner. So it was a phenomenal experience. And you actually owned a revenue number. Mm-hmm. As a that is that is the next level. Yeah. So when you when you truly own the the number, that is ultimate accountability. Yeah, I mean, we had it was it was interesting. We had GMs for each of the business units, and I guess they were officially responsible for the P and L. That's what a GM sort of job is. But marketing drove a hundred percent of that revenue, and so it was very exciting because you know I spent my whole career convincing. I mean, you're a CMO, like I've, my whole career I've spent convincing executives like, no, no, I promise that billboard contributed to some leads, like, you know, or whatever it was like that TV ad had this number of impressions. And so certainly like between this frequency and this, we picked up 2% of the revenue contribution or whatever math we tried to create. But when you're digital marketing and you are literally driving every single person to the site, then you actually get like you actually have the data to back up and say, look, I actually did drive. We grew the business eight percent this month. We grew at twelve percent. We grew, you know, margin by this. Um, and so it was really fulfilling, and it taught me where I had spent a lot of my career in more traditional brand. It taught me to get closer and closer and closer to the business, and I love that. I love being next to the business. I love seeing the. Um, the immediate sort of levers um, and sort of catalysts that you can provide by, uh, you know, by trying different elements to kind of see where do we need to ramp up. I mean, I had a girl on my team who led paid media and I would say, hey, we're running 10 million revenue short this month. She'll be like, I got it. And she'd go take a bit. She'd ramp up paid media. We'd bring in the 10 million. It was it was beautiful. And I thought, man, how does like there's so much satisfaction in the data. Absolutely. And that's got to be a, a place where your engineering, your pre-wired engineering brain would work. Because I look at that as, and let me know if this is a cheat code in here too. When you get into yeah. digital, you get into paid. It's it's that you bring a scientific approach, a series of experiments to a digital space. Everything is quantifiable. It helps you 
prove out your case. Did you bring a, a scientific mindset to digital as well? Well, I had some great people on the team that also did, but I certainly followed and understood it a lot more because of that. So for instance, um, you know, certainly like because I was, it was having paid media and SEO under my purview direct in-house for the first time, I spent like my first month, like with those leaders day in and day out, like teach me this, teach me that. And then by the end, they're like, you got this, like, you understand this data. And I was like, yes, yeah. but there's um, a, a guy on our team who led conversion rate optimization. So his job was just to make sure landing pages are optimized to convert as high as possible. And so, you know, I, a lot of my sort of statistics and research um, and engineering background came in on the fact of like, oh, wait, we can't change a headline and the click through box color and the language all at the same time, because right. we won't be able to isolate which part worked and which part didn't. And so there was a lot of logic in kind of the step-by-step -step of, of knowing, you know, how, how we could get to, um, to the most optimal and know exactly what those drivers were and say, Ooh, by changing this one word in this headline, we grew click through by 6%. Okay. Well, there's something in that. Let's build on that. And I really kind of geeked out on that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun there. That's awesome. Now, after Gartner. Yes. Your path. Yeah. So I was at Gartner and loved it. Uh, in hindsight, I should never have left. Uh, I mean, I'm thankful for where I am today, but in that moment, I should not have left. I got a call. You know, I said a while ago, like the advocate thing worked for me about 99% of the time. The 1% it didn't was um, going to TopTile. That's where I went after Gartner. Um, one of my girlfriends, good friend, I worked with at Rackspace. Um, she was leading operations over at TopTile. Um, and smart gal, she's MIT, Columbia, like, you know, I trusted her good friend and I thought, okay, she's like, come on, come just try this. I was like, no, no, I'm really happy here. She's like, just talk to my boss, talk to whatever. Anyway, I went through the process. Um, I sort of knew all the way through the process that it was probably not a good idea. There were like 17 red flags, you know, through it that I should have responded to. And so I wasn't planning to move forward. And then they called me and said, Hey, we'd love to have, um, we'd love to make you an offer. We know you're super happy. Um, and they offered me uh, just something I couldn't turn down. Uh, my husband owns a, uh, a golf hospitality business. And so COVID had just wiped him out because there were no resorts, no hotels, right. no golf courses, nothing. They were all shutting it down. No one was traveling. And so I was like, man, like, can I turn down like a lucrative lift? Um, knowing all of that, like as a responsible, so I was like, oh, and I hated it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. It'll be great. Um, plus uh, TopTel is a hundred percent remote company. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, we had been in COVID world at that point for about a year and I had been remote and we were starting at Gartner to talk about the return to the office. I have three super active kids. The first I was like, I, I can't go back to an office. Like I'm right. so present in every part of, I can jump out and run to lunch. I can get to a five o'clock baseball practice. Like whatever it is, which I couldn't do with a 45 minute commute. And I was like, okay, remote company was CMO. It was now one CMO, which was a big deal for me because I was like, well, I've been a divisional CMO. Now I want to report to the CEO and actually be that, that L1 role. And, um, so anyway, I took it. Um, I knew on my first day at 9am and the first meeting I sat in that I made a huge mistake, um, which was tough and I could go, that could be a whole separate podcast. Um, but we, uh, but so we went four or five months and essentially by the end, um, agreed that it was not a good culture fit. I went and said, you should fire me. Um, you don't, you don't want what I'm selling and I disagree with everything you're telling me to do. 
um, because it's just not great marketing. And that uh, is that yeah. has got to be a cheat code right there. <laughs> like managing yourself out of a job, knowing when it's not right, knowing yeah. when it's not the right fit, and it doesn't fit from a culture standpoint, which is yeah. massively important. Knowing in your heart, it's you know that's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard, brave thing to do. It is. Yeah. And, you know, and he even asked me, like, are you planning to quit? And I was like, no, I'm not going to quit. I don't quit anything. But you would be better off with somebody else because I am not the right fit. Like, you know, the ideas that I have or what I'm, you know, want to do here, it's it's not happening in this environment. And um, and I won't go into details about the company, but it was just it was just not the right fit for me. And so, uh, yeah, so he finally agreed with me. We decided to part ways. Um, and so I left in July, I left July 12th, um, and I went on vacation to Lake Tahoe, um, and immediately thought, oh gosh, I better hurry up and find another job because heaven forbid that LinkedIn gap, right? That there might be like time between roles that will cause question, um, or to look like I was either, you know, I couldn't find a job or I was lazy or whatever it was. And so I've since totally changed my mindset, but at the time that's what I was thinking. And so while I was in Lake Tahoe, I dropped a couple notes to recruiters and when I came back, I had seven CMO interviews my first week back. Man. And I immediately was like, okay, the market's fine. Well, it <laughs> is. The market's fine. So that's good. So I don't need to rush there. And then second, I was like, there's some amazing companies here. And I'm not excited about any of them. Not because they're not awesome, but because I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I had just been playing this emotional like roller coaster for the last four or five months at TopTal that I was like, I need a break. Like the thought of a 30 minute interview, I was like, Oh, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm just burned out. I am a high, high achiever and I move hundred percent all the time. And all of a sudden I was like, I, I, I'm done. I'm just smoked. And so I talked to my husband and said, can I take some time? And he was like, yeah. And we looked at the bank account and we said six months, let's do it. And so I, at that moment, I told every recruiter, all those companies, thank you very much. Um, but I need a break and I'll be back in six months. If you have a job opportunity, great. Let's talk in January. And uh, and that's how it worked. And now I've been living the life for six months. Phenomenal. And I want to unpack that right now. So you, the game of marketing, you hit the pause button on. Yes. And I want to say you all, you gave yourself a gift because I've been working my butt off since I was like 12 years old, yes. like zero breaks. There's <laughs> there's going to be something like that in my career that I'll, I'm going to want to take one day. And I'm going to reference one of your, uh, your recent posts on LinkedIn. And I actually, I love this list. It's about 23 <laughs> things you did when you were um, you were taking this sabbatical. Yeah. You probably would have never been able to do them at the level you did with the massive responsibility as, as a CMO. And um, I'll pick out one. Uh, you, it looks like, um, and actually share the affinity for Yellowstone as well. You caught some uh -huh. episodes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw this episode yet, but there was, and I want to bring it back to you, but the the episode where Casey goes on the vision quest. Did you oh, see yeah. that? The very so, last one was yeah. such a weird episode. Yeah. So in, in some ways, this sabbatical for you, I'm sure you got some of those benefits of, stopping, yeah. getting all that, all that noise and just like that fast paced life out and then slow things down, the power of slowing down to eventually speed up. What are some of these things that you've gained in your, your ability to take a break? Yeah. I mean, a bunch, it's a great question. Uh, so yeah, mine wasn't as weird. I didn't see like wolves off in the distance or anything, <laughs> crazy. but I did, uh, 
so what I started doing, I didn't even realize, I kind of just like, I hit a moment where I realized the downside of that advocate path that I talked about is that I never had to do thinking about my career. My career took, people took me with them where they went and I just followed. So I never, so at some point I was like, wait, what do I want to do? Like I've been following these opportunities, but what is it that gets me excited? And so I had, I had lunches and coffee, some that I planned, some that came to me, but um, that I just met with, I mean, I had a million of them. I think there's 106. I counted them yesterday before I wrote that post. Um, but I had all of these coffees and I would meet with private equity people. I met with, with VC folks. I met with former mentors. I met with peers. I met with junior marketers who were kind of up and coming because somehow talking out loud to them helped me kind of think through my own stuff too. Anyway, and through all that. So I got to a place where I was like, I need, I love marketing. I know that I want to stay in that space. Um, I think I want to be a CEO one day. And I think marketing, depending on the business can get there. Um, but for right now, I think I still want to do the, the marketing thing and do it well. And so I was like, I either want to, I, I could go big company um, back on that route. I could go um, startup kind of early stage series A, series B pre IPO startup um, and understand how VC backing and fundraising and all that stuff works. I could go um, consultant. Part of me was like, man, I could be like a CMO for hire. Um, and so I explored a couple different ways. I went through the chief outsiders means of doing that. I also went and thought, man, I've got enough relationships. People would say, Hey, I could use you for 10 hours a week right now. And I'd be like, that's an interesting way I can manage with my kids and all of that. And as I went through that, um, and plus I was writing this book, right? So I was writing the book about my journey and not because my book, like I expect to sell more than however many family members I have seven copies or whatever, but because I was like, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I'd love my kids to know who their mom was. Like when they grow up, like what was her life like? And so I wrote this book to kind of capture it all. And it was super uh, therapeutic, right? To like think through like each, like put yourself back of what was I thinking in college when I took that job? What was I thinking when I got engaged? What was I thinking when I dated that loser? Like all those different things that kind of went through and it was such a, it was so introspective that I figured out, gosh, like I'm so aware now of who I am, how I'm wired, what I'm like. And so by doing that, it made it very clear, like, yes, I would think I would be a great CMO consultant, CMO for higher fractional CMO type, but I'm an extrovert. And the thought of one, not owning what I'm putting out there as because I'd be a consultant or two, not managing a team of people that I could pour into, that wasn't my cup of tea. So I was like, okay, so functionally I know what I can do, but personality wise, that's not a fit for me. And so I slowly started kind of knocking things out. And at the end ended up with two really compelling, amazing, beautiful offers, one in the big company, one in the startup. And I chose to go the startup route, but it was uh, yeah, it was a ton of soul searching, which was great. And mindlessness. I also did a lot of not thinking like cleaning out my laundry room or watching Yellowstone or whatever. <laughs> cleaning out even like the laundry room in your head. You yeah. know, that, that's, that's amazing. And now, you know, I think uh, you hit on a cheat code, which is really understanding who you are, like self-awareness. Who am I? Who do I want to be? That That's amazing. Uh, and then uh, the title of the book, maybe on, uh, open to it mm -hmm. is the name of the book. How did, what inspired the title? So my, uh, well, a couple of things. So my um, husband now, when he asked me out for the first time, um, we were living in New York City 
uh, I knew him. I had worked with him. I'd known him for like a year, but we had kind of tried to hook him up with a friend of mine. Like at no point did I ever have any interest in him. And, um, and we hung out one day, we like ran into each other and we went to brunch or whatever. And he was walking me back and he said, what do you think about being more than friends? And I was like, no, in my head, I'm thinking, hell no, I have zero interest in this guy, none. And I was like, but I was so impressed. I'm like 28, 27, however old I was. Um, I was so impressed that he had, I don't know if I can say this, but I was so impressed that he had the balls to just come out and say that <laughs> instead of like yeah. play games with me or like make me wonder if he's going to call or should I care if he calls? Cause we're just friends. I have no idea. And he said that so outright that I was like, Oh, and I was like, um, I'm open to it, I guess. That's cool. And he was like, okay. In his head, he was thinking like that was much better than what I was expecting. And so, uh, but I realized it was such a theme um, yeah. in my life that like all of these opportunities, part of again, this advocate theme is I was just open to it. If I really adored and trusted and believed in this leader, then I was willing to follow them, right? If I trusted that they wouldn't take me to a bad culture, a bad environment, you know, a bad opportunity. So I was really open to opportunities. I feel like part of that is, you know, I'm a, I'm a faithful person and my, you know, I feel like that's sort of God guiding me and navigating my path with these people facilitating it. So I've learned to just, I'm such an achiever and a box checker that yeah. being open to the opportunities has been such a gift to my career. So. Yeah. Another cheat code. You've got to be open to opportunities. That's amazing. Uh, Kelly, your story is amazing. And, um, Loved having you on the show, and this is marketing cheat codes. So, did you play any video games at all when you were on your occult, your vision quest sabbatical or in life? <laughs> I like that name. I'm going to reframe my uh, sabbatical as vision quest. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm not really a game player. I, uh, I like, I like leveling up in dumb, mindless things. So, I'm a consummate multitasker. So, I don't do anything. Um, like, if I'm driving, I'm listening to an audio book. If I'm watching TV, I'm playing Candy Crush. If I'm nice. peeing, I'm reading a magazine, right? Like I'm always multitasking. And so uh, so Candy Crush and Spider Solitaire and uh, Color Bump 3D are sort of my <laughs> like mindless games that I play on the iPad while I watch um, all of my mindless television. That's awesome. Leveling up. It, you also, I want you to hit on this before we wrap up, but punching above your weight. Yeah. I, what does that mean to you? That I think that's such a, a strong concept that you've yeah. used that I've heard. Yeah. I mean, the market is so small and reachable and targeted now that a little bitty tiny company can feel a lot bigger than it is. You used to not be able to do that, right? Because marketing was billboards, TV spots, radio, and all of those cost a fortune. And so small companies just couldn't play, I don't think, in the marketing game. Now that the world is digital, now that there's social media, now that like literally a touch of a button, there's a million apps you can go through. Like people ask me like, what's your news source? I'm like, well, whatever Apple news pushes to my screen, like that's my news source, right? You can get stuff in front of anybody. And so to me, these small companies, it's the best time to be able to punch above your weight. You may be a million dollar company, but you can be out there. You can use social media, even organically, that doesn't cost anything. Mm -hmm. You can gain followers. You can um, you can uh, do enough noise that you seem much bigger than you are um, as a company. 
Um, I think individuals probably do this as well, but really uh, the companies. And so to me, like it, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of sort of bottom of the funnel demand gen transactional because it's tied straight to revenue. But from a brand building perspective, like some great PR, a great PR person and a great social person can make you feel like the largest company in the world because mm -hmm. they can get you everywhere um, for not that much money. And I think that's um, that's a great way for a company to kind of say like, um, I promise we're big, we're coming, we'll catch up to that, but you don't need to know that. Just know that we're this and then eventually you sort of um, catch up. The reality catches up with the uh, reputation. I love that. I think that puts puts a period at the end of this sentence that defines marketing. I, I love that so much. Thanks. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Again, you're a, a successful blueprint for aspiring marketers and folks that eventually one, one day would want to um, call themselves a, a CMO. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ed. It was great. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Brield. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening.